0: Happy Saturday and thank you for joining me today. It has been a very long week, uh, but I want to begin today with a story that is apparently evolving and more information is being reported on this particular and very, very unsettling and concerning event. Uh, Let's begin at the outset here. In 2014, Russia was hosting the Winter Olympics in Sochi, and the eyes of the world were upon Russia as they were having this very big moment. But before the games were over that year, Russia and Putin in particular got very embarrassed as this pro-democracy uprising took place in the capital of Ukraine. Russia, of course, had installed this pro-Putin guy to be the president of that country. But in 2014... Following these mass protests in Russia, with citizens demanding that their country be a western-facing facing nation integrated with Europe, that it no longer be managed as a corrupt territory of Russia and the Kremlin, that pro-Putin leader that had been installed in Ukraine by Russia initially responded by killing lots of protesters, and that just looked horrible alongside the convention, horrible alongside the Olympics coverage. Ultimately, though, uh, he ended up fleeing to Russia after that situation intensified and the people in Ukraine won, but Russia was not having it. And they were so infuriated by this news that they attempted to annex Crimea and they sent Russian military forces. And after that major event, the Obama administration imposed 11 sanctions on 11 Russians. Steve Holland from Reuters, from Reuters at the time, reported, quote, the, situa- excuse me, "The sanctions were the most visible sign of U.S. anger at Russia's attempt to absorb the Crimea region in southern Ukraine, reflecting the deepest plunge in U.S.-Russian relations since the Cold War." End quote. This news was so concerning that it ultimately got Russia kicked out of the G8, thenceforth making it the G7. For those of you who are who are unfamiliar with that term, uh, the, here's how BBC.org describes it, .com describes it. Quote, the G7 or Group of Seven is an organization made up of world's seven largest so-called advanced economies, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, and the United States. The group regards itself as, quote, a community of values with freedom and human rights, democracy, and the rule of law and prosperity as sustainable development as its key principles. End quote. Subsequent to those events of Russia being removed from this group, the United States pledged $1 billion in aid to Ukraine and condemned Russia, and that was just remarkable. I mean, it showed a sign of, we're with you and we've got your back, Ukraine. I mean, but following those events... President Obama announced the European Reassurance Initiative, which later changed its name to the European Deterrence Initiative. But essentially, this was another remarkable sign of action. After that European re- Reassurance Initiative was created back in 2014, the Obama administration posted this statement on their website. Quote, To reassure allies of our solemn commitment to their security and territorial integrity as members of the NATO alliance, Then the statement goes on to say, quote, that this is necessary and appropriate show of support to allies who are now deeply concerned by Russia's occupation and attempted annexation of Crimea and other provocative actions in Ukraine. The United States stands by its allies as they have stood by us, end quote. So these are four major actions that the Obama administration took here in retaliation against Russia for their reprehensible actions. Number one, Russia gets sanctioned, sanctions. Number two, they get kicked out of the G8. Three, the United States pledges $1 billion in aid to Ukraine. And number four, President Obama creates the European Reassurance Initiative, which later becomes the European Deterrence Initiative. And we, we thought that all of that could be held together. All of this sign of force could be held together in, in retaliation against Russia for what they had done back in 2014 attempting to annex another nation, attempting to annex uh, or at least a part of Ukraine for their own benefit. We thought that we could hold that together, that, that nothing that couldn't possibly be broken. That is until 2017, when Donald Trump became the 45th president of the United States. He showed lots of love for Russia and has ever since. In the second year of the Trump administration, he decided to hold off sanctions on Russia, on rendering Russia new sanctions despite the law. And then in 2019, the president advocated for bringing Russia back into the G7 despite what they had done in the past, right? which would make it the G8 again. I mean, the president literally postponed the whole event because Russia was not there, essentially saying that Russia belongs here and let's make it the Group of Eight again. I mean, so so those are the two things. Here's the third one. The president held up Ukraine military aid meant to confront Russia. That was very, very controversial when it was reported by Politico.com back then. Reportedly... To fund his nonsensical border wall, that he said Mexico is going to pay for. Ultimately, uh, that is not the reason why the president was impeached. It was related to withholding Ukraine military aid, but it was for political benefit. When the president uh, did that in 2019, you uh, another place that the president decided to cut funding from for his border wall was the European Reassurance Initiative as later named the European Deterrence Initiative. So that appalling news broke last year, and his love for Russia has continued to grow ever since. I mean, just this year, when news was reported that Russia, that Russian bounties, when that news broke... About Russian bounties being placed on American troops. The president asserted that he, he was never briefed on this. And then the president acted like he, he was receiving these news reports for the first time, even though that was false. And even after those reports came out, he said Russia didn't do it because they told me and I absolutely believe them. He also said that that news story was, was fake news and he dimiss- he's dismissed it since. There has been no condemnation of Russia whatsoever. He just let it go. No repercussions for Russia at all. Last month, the president gifted Russia by removing 12,000 troops sanctioned in Germany. Thenceforth, making it easier for them to advance their own agenda and ambitions. So that astonishing news broke last month. Then earlier this month, we received this news. That, a, that Putin critic and former opponent, Alexei Navalny, was poisoned in Russia, apparently after drinking tea. We do know that Putin has a history of ordering the poisoning and killing of his opponents, and all the president had to say on this was, quote, we're looking into it, end quote. I mean, if these were normal times with a normal president in the White House, There would have been a strong condemnation of Russia. Nevertheless, that has not happened. Regarding this poisoning of Mr. Navalny, the Russian Federation would initially not allow for his body to leave and his wife wasn't allowed to see him. However, they finally capitulated and he was transferred to a German hospital. The German hospital that uh, is treating Mr. Navalny is now apparently asking for British help. Uh, We're going to keep an eye on that story as more information is reported. Right now, there are thousands of Russians protesting against Russian President Vladimir Putin, who is suspected of ordering the poisoning of Mr. Alexei Navalny. Last week on Thursday, former Secretary of State and 2016 Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton spoke on MSNBC with Rachel Maddow about this news. Uh, here's what she said. Last night, we learned, we got the first reports, that it appears that the most important, most charismatic, strongest opposition leader that Vladimir Putin has ever faced in Russia, Alexei Navalny, it appears that he has been poisoned. Um, he is yeah. not the first Putin opponent to be poisoned. Mr. Navalny is apparently, in has been hospitalized is in quite serious condition we do not know if he will survive this and of course we don't know all the circumstances the US government has apparently had zero
1: response to this thus far the president had nothing to say about it when he was asked about it today Um, I just wanted to get your response and ask you what you think the US government ought to be doing in light of this well the US government should be not only speaking publicly uh, about uh, this incident and connecting it to so many more because as you rightly say Rachel uh, poisoning, uh, people falling out of windows, uh, having convenient heart attacks in the back seats of cars has become business as usual in Putin's Russia. And Navalny on, was on his way to support the protests against Putin uh, in the uh, far east of Russia. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind uh, that he has been uh, poisoned. Uh, I couldn't, obviously. Uh, speculate as to how the people traveling with him think it was tea that he drank at the uh, airport lounge. Um, The last word I heard was that his wife was not being able to see him, that they would not permit uh, him to be medevaced out of Russia uh, to a uh, hospital in another country. Uh, This is the kind of regime that Donald Trump supports. And this is the kind of leadership from an Autocrat like Putin that he aspires to. And to circle back to Nicole's question, every American should ask him or herself, you know, do you want a country where your president admires someone who kills, literally kills, his opposition? Now, and and we have heard nothing. We have heard nothing from Pompeo. We've heard nothing from, you know, the White House. And it is a demonstration of the moral bankruptcy, but mm-hmm. also the clear and present danger that the Trump administration poses to our freedoms, to our values. And I am really concerned that more people in our country are not understanding uh, what has happened elsewhere in the world that Trump seems to admire. and. What would stop him from going even further than he has, uh, if given the chance?
0: Once again, that was former Secretary of State uh, under the Obama administration, as well as former 2016 Democratic presidential candidate there, essentially just laying out there in very stark and unsettling terms about what had transpired last week and what we are currently continuing to keep an eye on as more information surfaces and is being reported this week. Um, another person uh, named Vladimir Karamirza was also poisoned in Russia, except twice. Uh, now, it is worth noting that that was not this year, uh, nor in the past two years. Um, reportedly, this event took place in, in 2015 and in 2017. Um, Last week, he wrote an opinion piece at the Washington Post, quote, The world must pay attention to the suspected poisoning of Alexei Navalny. My own case shows why. He then goes on to write, quote, It's it's scary to not be able to breathe. That was the first thing I felt both times the poisoning symptoms began to to set in. Both times were in Moscow. The first on May 26, 2015. The second on February 2, 2017. My chest was expanding. All the normal physic, physical motions were there, but it felt as if I was suffocating. The other symptoms, racing heartbeat, excessive pers- perspiration, violent vomiting, loss of consciousness came later. The official diagnosis from the hospital was toxic action by an undefined substance, meaning in plain language poisoning by an unknown source. Multiple organ failure, brain swelling and a prolonged coma followed. Both times doctors told my wife I had about a 5% chance to live. I did thanks to the amazing Russian doctors and I'm deeply grateful to be able to write these words today. But this Thursday I relieved a horrific I relived a horrific groundhog day at Heartbeating Heartbeating the News of Alexei Navalny's suspected poisoning in Siberia, where he had been canvassing for his moments for his movement's candidates in the upcoming local elections. The opposition politician and Russia's most prominent anti corruption campaigner began to feel sick on his return flight in Moscow, perspiring and shouting with pain. After that, Plane made an emergency landing in Omsk. In Omsk, I believe this is spelled O-M-S-K, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but that's how it's spelled. Navalny, already unconscious, was taken to the local hospital and attached to a ventilator. No official diagnosis has yet been pronounced, but no one is Russia, but no one in Russia doubts the cause of his sickness, end quote. Of course, we are now being reported of course it is now being reported and of course we now know that Alexei Navalny was poisoned the article continues quote time after time people who cross the Kremlin's path have fallen victim to mysterious poisoning attacks opposition politicians and independent journalists Russians and foreigners on our own soil and abroad quote I hope and pray that he lives if he does, I know he will continue his work against Vladimir Putin's corrupt system to help one day make Russia, in Navalny's words, quote, a normal European country, end quote. Meanwhile, it is important to keep international attention on his case. It is much easier to commit a crime in silence than in spotlight, than in the spotlight. I am a living testimony to that. A strong stance from world leaders on both sides of the Atlantic will help ensure that the Russian, inthor- that the Russian authorities allow Navalny's doctors to do their job. Once the immediate crisis passes, there should be long-term consequences under Putin. Long-term consequences. Then it goes on to say, quote, Under Putin, the, pers- the perpetrators of attacks and opposition leaders, including most prominently the assassination of Boris Nemtsov in plain sight on Kremlin 2,000 days ago this week will continue to be shielded from the highest level. Then he goes on to say, but Putin will not be in power forever. Of course, we have just received the news that um, in Russia, Putin was just reelected, 16 years. He will now serve as the president of Russia until 2036. And you know, this, we are receiving this very... Very stark and unsettling sort of perspective from former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, as you heard her say there. Convenient heart attacks at the backs, in the backseat of cars in Russia. I mean, it's very unsettling, very concerning here for the poisoning of Alexei Navalny. Last week, the president was just quite slow with his response. Then he finally said, quote, we're looking into it, end quote. No further repercussions for Russia at all. No further repercussions. I mean, for context, sort of like for context, in 2018 when the president met with Russian President Vladimir Putin in 2018, in that meeting, they were together in that room With no Americans in that room to take note of what transpired and who said what. No American in that room. Only the president himself. With just a translator. And a, excuse me, I believe it's just a Russian translator. With the president of Russia. Just both of them in that room with no American. And when the president came out, he said, I believe, I believe Putin. Putin tells me that Russia did not interfere in the 2016 presidential elections. So I believe him. I mean, based off of all of these news stories that have broken over the past year, month, and weeks, you kind of see this recurring response from the president, right? I mean, so far, it's been, I believe them. And this story is fake news. We're looking into it. And sometimes it's just no response, completely quiet. Here's what I mean. On Wednesday this week, I reported about this Russian military vehicle that had rammed into a U.S. military vehicle. Uh, Plus, a Russian helicopter was flying over. That news story was unsettling and quite concerning. Reportedly, four U.S. soldiers were injured and are being treated for traumatic brain injury. Then, suddenly, yesterday, Russia said it's the U.S.'s fault for that whole vehicle collision in Syria. What has the president said? Nothing. Nevertheless, yesterday, Forbes.com and other multiple news organizations reported that a Russian Navy submarine was spotted in Alaska. Forbes.com reports, quote, Russian Navy submarine surfaces off Alaska, likely the same one that fired cruise missile earlier in exercise. End quote. Forbes then elaborates: "Quote, a Russian submarine reported off the Alaskan coast on Thursday is likely to be the same one that fired a cruise missile in a naval exercise." U.S. Northern Command stated that the submarine surfaced. And, uh, excuse, excuse me, that the submarine surfaced and is being monitored by the U.S. forces. It may have surfaced because of an emergency, and it is only an unusual. Excuse me, and it is not the only unusual Russian Navy submarine movement that has caused analyst attention. End quote. After that was reported, uh, multiple news organizations, including The Hill, broke this news, quote, US military intercepts six Russian jets off Alaska. End quote. General Glenn Van Herc, the commander of NORAD, said in a statement today, quote, our northern northern approaches have had an increase in foreign military activity as our competitors continue to expand their military presence and probe our defenses. This year, we've conducted more than a dozen intercepts, the most in recent years. The importance of our continued efforts to protect air defense operations in and through the north has never been more apparent. End quote. NORAD and the United States North Command said that they are closely monitoring the situation. But here's one last thing. The Russians are getting more audacious. They're getting more bolder. Now that they see what they can do, the president keeps taking their side and showing his love for them and showing his, his condoning of what has been transpiring. Or should I say dismissing everything as fake news? It never happened. I believe Putin. He said it didn't happen. It didn't happen. While major news has broken about Russian bounties on American troops and he dismissed that as fake news, The president has and is refusing to condemn the Russians on anything that they do. And it is honestly appalling. But more importantly, it's dangerous because it sends a message to Russia that you can do whatever you want and I won't punish you. You want me to pull 12,000 troops out of Germany? Got it. You want to surface off the Alaskan coast? Got it. I'm fine with that. I mean, it is very unsettling. Very, very unsettling. This is a story that I'm going to continue to report on as more information is being reported this week. But this news story is very concerning and it should be of concern to all Americans. Because our president is showing love and condoning of Russia that we have never seen before and that is dangerous. I mean the contrast of leadership here is just remarkable. Under the Obama administration when the when Russia attempted to annex Crimea from Ukraine, the Obama administration took immediate action. They took action instantly. And they and there were re, repercussions for Russia for what they had done. There were there was retribution for what Russia had at least attempted to do. I mean, it was absolutely remarkable what the Obama administration did back in 2014. Now, we're just living in different times. Apparently, that does not matter. Apparently, repercussions and retribution is not on the line here. At the President's re-election show earlier this week, Vice President Mike Pence says that this administration, he says that, yeah, we have stood up to our enemies and we have stood by our allies. That is a lie. That statement is mendacious, and he knows it. And so does the Trump administration. They have not stood up to Russia. They have not condemned Russia for any of these events, any of them. And it is absolutely reprehensible. It's absolutely appalling. And it's diametrically flabbergasting as we go into this next presidential election right now, as we have 66 days to hold this administration and this president accountable for their reprehensible actions. We have 66 days to go. And this is what they say. This fabrication. This, this mendacious statement that, yeah, we've stood by our allies and we have always stood up to our enemies. No, you have not. This statement by the Vice President of the United States shows what this administration is willing to do to secure re-election. And when they have it, this agenda, Russia's agenda, will continue to be advanced and advanced and advanced and that is a danger not only to our democracy not only to our nation not only for the rule of law not only for we needing national leadership right now but that is a danger to all of us and it is absolutely appalling that they would try to pull this off if you looked at America like a bird and that was all you knew Would you really understand it with just that point of view? We've got a different way to look at it from right here on the ground. We don't just see United States. We see United towns. From where we sit, just down the street, near the post office, by the park, when we stop and look around, what we see are sparks. Sparks of hope, of compassion, of communities who stand firm when neighbors lift each other up expecting nothing in return. We're grateful for what you bring and all the sparks you've shown in the thousands of towns that we get to call home. The Hatch Act is a federal law passed in 1939 and it limits certain political activities of federal employees as well as some state, D.C. and local government employees who work in connection with federally funded programs. The law's purposes are to ensure that federal programs are administered in a nonpartisan fashion to protect federal employees from political coercion in the workplace and to ensure that federal employees are advanced based on its merits, merit and not based on political affiliation that's according to osc.gov osc is the office of special counsel and evidently the hatch act has has been violated uh, this week at the president's re-election show Uh, it's worth noting here that this week on monday the rnc concluded that's where the delegates convened to re-nominate donald trump as their presidential nominee the other speeches you heard this week were not at the rnc it was more like a re-election show But here's how they violated the Hatch Act. More than two of the buildings that the Trump administration and federal employees, including elected officials, used this week was for partisan political purposes, which is illegal. Now, it is also worth noting here that the president and the vice president of the United States are exempt from the Hatch Act, which means it technically doesn't apply to them. But for other elected officials and for other federal government officials, they should know better here. For example, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, he spoke at the president's re-election show as well. Here's reporting from Vox.com. "Quote: At least some members of Congress, meanwhile, seek investigations into some of Trump administration into some of the Trump administration's efforts to blur the line between government and politics." Representative Juan Castro, for example, sent a letter to the State Department informing them that he's probing secretary of state mike pompeo's decision to address the republican national committee for jerusalem quote a clear violation of state department policy end quote and he just told other people working for the state department not to engage in this kind of activity nevertheless he has just done it i mean the hypocrisy right another building that was used this week for partisan political purposes was the Andrew Mellon Auditorium located in Washington, D.C. Also, by the way, the president decided to raise his prices over at Trump International Hotel just in case they had any guests stopping by. The Trump International Hotel is in Washington, D.C., and both of these buildings were in close proximity, making it easier for guests or any potential speakers to arrive early on their commute. Or just in case they just wanted to stay in town. One of the other buildings the Trump administration used that really bothered many people, including myself, was the White House. Just for elucidation in my uh, just for elucidation here, um, in my second segment on Wednesday about the CDC, I said that I said the Trump White House. My apology, that is not the Trump White House. It is our White House. It is the American people's White House. While they were on our lawn this week many factually inaccurate statements were made. And for any kids doing in person learning, just hope they weren't watching, because there was no social distancing at all. When the Trump administration was asked about this event, they essentially shrugged their shoulders and said, quote, everyone is going to catch this thing eventually. End quote. They of course were referring to the coronavirus, which is deeply disturbing. But the only thing we can do to hold this administration accountable for their reprehensible actions is to vote and to organize and to run for office. Demand social and political change. I mean, that's really the only thing we've got. Sort of like the last thing we can hold on to. Impeachment didn't work. The Mueller investigation didn't work. Please go to vote.org. Share that link with your family and friends as well. This election is going to be very consequential, 66 days to go.
2: At a time when we're asked to sacrifice, we step up to do our part on the home front, (laughs) on the front lines, to lend a helping hand and hold each other up. We are resilient, vigilant, and we'll get through this because we are better together. Even if we're
0: a little farther apart. Earlier this week, I reported on the very disturbing breaking news about the CDC apparently saying that if you do not have symptoms or if you have been exposed to someone with the coronavirus, you probably shouldn't get a test. The CDC has since walked back those statements saying, well, maybe you should get a test if you've been exposed to the coronavirus. Yeah, Uh, Um. We don't know if the CDC actually wrote that as reported on, as I reported on Wednesday by the New York Times that they reported, according to an official inside the CDC, that those guidance, those guidelines were actually written by them. In fact, the, the Trump administration actually did that and just put a CDC logo on it. I mean, it's very disturbing as we are continuing to watch the politicization of the coronavirus pandemic. It is not good. It is still not good right now and it never was good from the beginning as the president politicized the coronavirus pandemic from the beginning downplaying the risk but as far as looking into this and holding this administration accountable for what they have done here and this incompetent incoherent leadership on the coronavirus pandemic and the failure to save american lives and sort of politicizing this as i have stated we are seeing one of the first senators in the United States Congress beginning to take action here. Senator Elizabeth Warren is now calling for an investigation into Trump's politicization Excuse me, politicization of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, Anna North, she's a senior reporter at Vox.com. She, she reports, quote, exclusive. Trump has repeatedly played politics with American lives, Warren and others say in a new letter. Quote, President Trump has made every aspect of his response to COVID-19 political, from his resistance to mask wearing, to his insistence on reopening schools, to his sparing with Democratic governors over life-saving tests and personal protective equipment. His administration has been accused of scraping a nationwide testing plan after a team convened by Trump son-in-law, Jared Kushner, determined that the epidemic would hit blue states the hardest and Democratic governors could be blamed for it. The article continues, quote, Now Senator Elizabeth Warren is calling for an investigation of Trump's politicization of the virus and the unnecessary death and damage it may have caused. In a letter sent on Tuesday and obtained by Vox exclusively ahead of publication, Warren and Senator Richard Blumenthal and Edward Markley write that, quote, President Trump and his advisors have repeatedly put their partisan political interest ahead of the health and welfare of other American people, end quote. Uh, I should also note that uh, we reached out to Senator Elizabeth Warren's office. Uh, She said uh, currently she is very, uh, her office said that currently she is very busy right now as we near closer and closer to the presidential election. Also Senator Elizabeth Warren, I should also note is currently uh, she has a lot on her hands right now, as well as dealing with hearings and just lots of new things that she's doing, including this and other senators now doing it with her, taking Senate action on this. Now I'm taking congressional action on this in the effort to hold this administration accountable right before the presidential election. I mean, this was another one of those things that had been reported previously by lawfareblog.com lawfare actually reported on Monday, June 1st quote, Congress should investigate the Trump administration's coronavirus response. Interesting. Um, I should note that we're going to have Anna North, uh, that senior reporter from Vox.com. We're going to have her here live on the show on Wednesday. You know, you're not going to want to miss that interview. We're going to have her here live uh, to talk about the situation and what this means. Uh, but we are seeing lots of congressional. Act- we are seeing th- I th- I believe this is the first sort of piece of investigate, investigatory sort of. Steps to ensuring that this pandemic get under control. Investigatory steps to holding this administration accountable for what has happened. And it is honestly remarkable. Um, I have another segment about the coronavirus. In um, that story, uh, that segment is coming up next. Um, stay with us.
3: Meet the
2: Ninja Foodie Air Fry Oven. Make fast, family sized meals in the time it takes some ovens to preheat. With Ninja's superheated air, you can air fry for extra crispy, guilt-free, delicious results. And because it's a Ninja Foodi, it can do things that no other oven can. And even flip up and out of the way. The Ninja Foodi Air Fry Oven. The oven that crisps and flips away.
0: Earlier this week, we also received news that doctors have found a possible case of COVID-19 reinfection here in the United States. One of the first reported reinfections as we are continuing to monitor this situation. Here in South Carolina, we have more than 116,000 coronavirus cases and more than 2,000 deaths. Um, the, uh, USC here in South Carolina uh, is committed to in-person classes despite spike in COVID-19 cases. One of the infuriating things as sort of being a citizen in this country right now is you don't actually know in your state how the coronavirus case count is going if you are controlled by, per se, a Republican. Because the idea or not idea, I guess the uh, the the persistent, I guess you could say the persistent effort to, to slow down coronavirus testing here in the United States and 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 to slow it down in, in their states as well. And that can be very controversial and very harmful to people who are considering if they should send their child back to school or not. Today, South Carolina reported 903 coronavirus cases. Europe, uh, Europe um, is saying that they are fearing a second wave of coronavirus as coronavirus cases continue to surge. And we know here in the United States that coronavirus cases are surging all over the United States. Um, Today is Saturday, coronavirus cases update for Utah, 458 new coronavirus cases. We also are still monitoring the current situation um, as we are watching Hurricane Laura. Uh, Reportedly by Brian, excuse me, by Brianna Sachs, she is a reporter at BuzzFeed News. Uh, She reports, quote, 10 people are dead and hundreds of thousands are without power right now after Hurricane Laura pummeled Louisiana. Quote, putting my life back together seems like an impossible task right now. One resident said, quote, it's going to take a long time for everyone to rebuild and move on. Quote, at least 10 people are dead and many people are unaccounted for after a historic Category 4 hurricane struck Louisiana in the early hours of Thursday morning, ripping through coastal towns and leaving hundreds of thousands of people without power. Quote, we have sustained a tremendous amountable, excuse me, we have sustained a tremendous amount of damage, Governor John Bell Edwards said Thursday at a press conference. Quote, thousands and thousands of residents whose lives are upside down, end quote. That situation is obviously deeply disturbing. Uh, we're going to have a special report actually on that situation, also on the Beirut explosion in Lebanon, uh, lots of news has broken over this past month. I sort of sort of shifted away from that for a, a while, but I'm going to get back to that. I'm going to report on that situation in Beirut. More information has been surfaced about that. I'm going to continue to report on that as well as the California wildfires as we continue to monitor that situation as well. Uh, but these are situations that we are monitoring. Um, stay with us. Uh, the last note is up ahead. Hey,
4: Google.
2: More than 100 billion words are translated every day.
4: Your
0: Thank you very much for your help.
2: Words about food.
3: <laughs>
2: words about friendship. <laughs> about sport. About belief. About fear. Oh. Oh my God. Words that can hurt and sometimes divide, but every day, the most translated words in the world are, how are you, thank you, and I love you.
0: Yesterday, 57 years ago, a quarter of a million people gathered together in Washington, D.C. for the March on Washington. It was organized, it was well done. Um, Here is a well put together video by the WTA YouTube channel.
2: On August 28, 1963, more than a quarter million Americans gathered in front of the Lincoln Memorial in one of the largest civil rights demonstrations in the nation's history. The march is best known for Martin Luther King's stirring speech, I Have a Dream.
4: He was my friend, he was my big brother, he was my hero, my inspiration.
2: John Lewis was another keynote speaker that day. A leading figure in the civil rights movement, Lewis had been beaten unconscious for standing up to segregation. Just 23 at the time, Lewis's planned speech included some fiery rhetoric. March organizer, A. Philip Randolph, asked him to tone it down.
4: Dr. King and A. Philip Randolph came to me and they saw the lines that said something like, if we do not see meaningful progress here today, the day may come when we will not confine our marching on Washington, but we may be forced to march through the south the way Sherman did. And Dr. King said to me, John, that does not sound like you. Can we change that? Lewis dashed behind the statue
2: of Lincoln and edited his speech just minutes before delivering it.
4: You couldn't say no to Martin Luther King Jr. I couldn't.
2: Lewis's speech was a powerful call for equal voting rights. He recently returned to the steps of the Lincoln Memorial.
4: We want our freedom and we want it now. One man, one vote is the African cry. It is ours too. It must be ours.
2: Within two years, Congress passed the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, outlawing major forms of racial discrimination.
4: I think we're still in a process, but it's a new day, and we are new people. We are better people.
0: Once again, uh, that was a video from the WETA YouTube channel. Uh, Congressman John Lewis, obviously, they're telling his story about what took take, what take place that year in 1963 on August 28th as speeches were made at the March on Washington. Uh, a quarter of a million people showed up that day. It was just this absolutely remarkable scene. Yesterday, um, thousands convened in Washington D.C. for the anniversary of March on Washington. BuzzFeed News: The headline of their article reads, "Quote: Activists at March activists at the March on Washington say Jacob Blake's shooting has re excuse me has re energized Black Lives Matter protest." Sorry for that hesitation of the word there um it continues they wish it didn't have to Subheadline reads quote it was just like it was just kind of saddened that it took someone a black man getting hurt that badly for us to come together like that obviously the country came together and you just unanimously in back in may when the killing of george floyd took place when that transpired there are massive protests all over the nation. BuzzFeed News, the, the lead on that story, reads, quote, Thousands of marchers gathered on the National Mall Friday to demand racial justice and mourn George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and other black Americans killed by law enforcement. The march was held on the anniversary of, march of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have, a Gr- I Have a Dream speech and took place at the memorial, the same spot where King spoke 57 years ago. The event also marked the 65th anniversary of the murder of Emmett Till and it comes just four days after Jacob Blake was shot by Kenosha, Wisconsin police seven times as he walked to his car, leaving him paralyzed, according to his family. Blake's sister, Latria Woodman, alongside with many other family members of black people hurt or killed by the police as well as civil rights leaders, addressed the crowd before the group marched to Martin Luther King's Jr. Memorial. Here's NBC News reporter Jeff Bennett reporting on the, reporting on the March on Washington that transpired yesterday. Um, here's him covering that event and covering some of the top speeches.
3: Thousands of demonstrators today lined the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and packed the National Mall to demand justice, 57 years to the day after Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his seminal I Have a Dream speech at the March on Washington.
4: We didn't just come today to have a show demonstration without legislation would not lead to change.
3: The Reverend Al Sharpton organized the event following the police killing of George Floyd to channel the outrage into action. Activists today calling for policing reform while demanding equal access to the ballot box and an end to systemic racism. Friday's march taking place during a summer of protest over police violence against black Americans. The latest, 29-year-old Jacob Blake, shot seven times in the back at close range by police in Wisconsin. His father traveled to Washington for the march.
2: We haven't moved too far in 60 years, because when oppression is oppression, it only allows
4: you to move so far.
3: That sentiment shared by others we talked to today.
4: I hate for my daughter to see, like on social media, her father getting killed. As a black man, you gotta be so strong, you gotta be so powerful. I can't show my tears, you know what I'm saying? That's gonna make me look in front of you. If you show the tears, you know, it gives in the power again.
3: I have a biracial family,
2: and we have our first son is gonna be born in a couple of months. And when, uh, when he learns about everything that's happening now, and he asked me, well, what did you do i can 't tell him i can't tell i can 't look my son in the eye and tell him I sat and
3: I scrolled twitter you know it 's important for me that I show him your dad was there, your dad showed up. Are you going to march definitely yeah yeah um, how do you think you 're going to feel?" I'll probably break down and cry, to be honest with you. Americans are marching together, many for the first time, and we're demanding real, lasting, structural change. After the speeches, the tens of thousands of demonstrators set off to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial while fighting to make his dream ring true. Jeff Bennett, NBC News, Washington.
0: And that is today's last note on the Jeremiah Patterson Show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. Make sure to share this podcast with your family and friends. Also, you can contribute to this podcast uh, financially uh, on the the link to the podcast. If you go to anchor.fm slash the Jeremiah Patterson Show They'll have the the link to that sort of contribution thing up there. Uh, you can do that as well. Also, make sure to listen to my other podcast called Disgrace, uh, which is about Watergate and corruption at the top echelons of the federal government. Please listen this Tuesday. I'm about to get to the really good part of the story. Uh, make sure to catch up on that. Uh, so when the episode comes out this Tuesday, you'll be all caught up as far as the story. Also listen to my other podcast, the U.S. Presidents, where I do new episodes every Thursday and I talk about the presidential administrations in the past and how they have helped shape our democratic republic and sort of the history behind it. Joe, if you ever ever have any questions, you can send in a voice message to the Jeremiah Patterson Show. You can also visit our website to contact me. Uh, But thank you again for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. I will see you again this Wednesday. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Stay positive and inspired.